Psalm 73. Keep your Bibles open. The, the person who writes this psalm is a man by the name of Asaph. A-S-A-P-H. Asaph. He, in this psalm, gives gut-wrenching honesty about his struggles. He bears his soul for God and for others to see. And I'm thinking, perhaps by looking at Asaph and what he wrote here, we can learn how we too can be honest with God about stuff we don't understand and can't explain without feeling like he's going to kill us for asking. Can I get a witness here? This message this morning is for anybody and everybody who have any kind of struggles. Me too, because I have them. It's for any and everybody who sometimes go up and down in their relationship with the Lord. Me too. I wish I could tell you my relationship with the Lord was always an oasis experience with water, life, and palm trees. But there are times that my relationship with God is as dry as a sandy Sahara desert. And it all is part of the package of what God designs for us in our lives as we come to know Him better. And so, I want to, I want to introduce you to Asaph, please. And let me do that so I can move on with the heart of this lesson. Asaph was successful. By that I mean he was successful as a psalmist. In Second Chronicles 29 and 30, we are told that he was a composer of sacred lyrics. The psalm that you, I, I read from, Psalm 73, as well as the next ten psalms in succession from this, all the way to 83, as well as Psalm 50 are all attributed to the penmanship of Asaph. Here was a man who used to compose hymns to be sung in the temple worship. But he was not only gifted at penning, writing these psalms or poems, but he was able to perform them musically and sing them as well. So I would say he was a successful psalmist. He was also successful as a prophet. In 2 Chronicles 29 and 30, the word of God refers to Asaph as a prophet. And they call him a seer. S-W-E-R. The word seer is one of two words that is used in scripture to describe a prophet. And of course, a prophet is also described as someone who is a beholder of visions. Dreams and visions from God. So he was a prophet, successful at that. Not only was he successful as a prophet, but he was also successful as a parent. Because in the same reference of Second Chronicles, we are told that not only did Asaph live a spiritual, godly, disciplined life publicly, but he lived that kind of life among his family. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Amen, brothers and sisters? And so what happens is we, we are also told in another place, First Chronicles 25, that in verse 1, that four of Asaph's sons were involved in conducting the choir and the chorus on the day that the temple of God was dedicated. He was successful. But here's another attribute of Asaph that we learn in this text. Asaph was slipping. I know that for at least three reasons. Reason number one, because of envy he was slipping. Please in your scriptures look at verses one and two with me. Truly God is good to Israel, to such that are pure in heart. But as for me, Asaph speaking, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. I'm going to be gut-wrenching honest. My steps had nearly slipped. 
Why? Look at, look at the next verse. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But let me read on and you follow. Verse 4. For the wicked people, they have no pains or pangs in their death. They seem to die peacefully. But their strength is firm. Verse 5. The wicked people are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Verse 6. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. The wicked people, Asaph says, I'm envious of them. Verse 7. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walk through the earth. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 said, uh, let me clarify here. People are wicked and unrighteous. They curse God. They swear. They speak against heaven. They speak against the word. They speak against righteous people. And they keep on just getting blessed all the time. And I'm envious of that. Because how can they get away with that? And I'm doing right. And I'm getting trouble. Look at verse number 10. Therefore his people return here. And waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Wicked people, how does God know anything? If God, he said in verse part B, and is there knowledge in the most high God? So Asaph is saying, look, these people are mocking. They're mocking you, God. Does God know anything? And if he knows anything, why don't he do something about it? And they laugh at God. And verse 12 says, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. And and it makes Asaph envious because of what is taking place. He's about at a place of of slipping. He says, you know what? I'm about to give up, give in. I'm about to get out of this relationship because of how I feel sometimes. Because I can't can't explain God. And I don't know about you, but, but in my walk and sometimes in my immaturity and lack of knowing the whole story, sometimes I've looked at other people's life, other people's blessings, other people's ministries, other people's prosperity, and think, God, why is, it, why is it they're getting it and I'm not? What's going on? And I have had to admit, I'm envious. Forgive me. Asaph was slipping because of emptiness. I know that because of verse number 13. If you're there, say amen. It says, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Actually, he puts it in, in, two, in the form of two questions. Because he's feeling empty. And he says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I mean, look what's going on. I, I, I do all. I give my tithe. I give my offering. I minister. I give in benevolence. I serve the kingdom. I, I privately and publicly try to live holy. And I, I just do what I know to do. And I don't try to cuss or swear or lose my temper or blow my cool or blame other people or look at pornography or commit fornication and adultery. Uh, why is it that I do all these things and yet I feel so empty? And doesn't the devil tell you, that's what you get for being righteous. Uh, that's what you get. Uh, young people today. And especially young ladies are under pressure to be sexually active outside of marriage. It used to be that in our school systems, the young ladies and young men were applauded for being virgins, virtuous, not having sex before marriage, saving themselves for the partner that God would give them for the rest of their life. They would be applauded. They would be given accolades. But now they are pressured to become sexually active and involved in other kinds of stuff because the trend of morality has changed. And it seems the more perverse you can be, the more active you can be, the more nudges you can get on your belt strap or whatever place else to indicate that you are now uh, you, you are in, in with the crowd. It seems like the more negativism it is, the more some of the, the young people are encouraged to be negative and immoral. You find people who are trying to live right and do right think, well, what's the use? And so Asaph is saying, what's the use? I feel empty. He, there's another reason why he feels like he's slipping. Because of embitterment. And you find reference to that, please, if you will, in verse 21. 
He says, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my spirit. And I'll give you the New Living Translation of how he says it because I like the way he puts it in today's vernacular. He says, when I study all that's going on and I can't figure it out, I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. Now what you have here, brothers and sisters, is the plaguing question that I introduced you to at the start of this lesson. The age-old question of why is it that the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? In my studies yesterday, I came across this, uh, this nugget. It's not original with me, but it doesn't have to be to be valuable. All of us don't have original ideas. Can I get an amen? And so, so here we go. Here's, what, here's Asaph's concern. He questions the value of holiness when its wages are paid in the coin of affliction. I'll say it again. He questions the value of holiness when its wages, the reward he gets for being holy, is affliction. You and I have been there. It appears that in this Psalm 73, Asaph is going through a place that we can call the valley of doubt. I have been in the valley of doubt. Sometimes I stay in that valley much too long to my discredit. There's probably not a one of you here this morning that are born again by Jesus Christ have experienced with Him that have gone through a struggle without having included part of your journey through the valley of doubt. Might I explain, please? In the valley of doubt, we look at cancer and we wonder why God, who is so good, allows cancer to eat up our bodies. Or the body of somebody we love. And we doubt. In the valley of doubt, we look at disease like AIDS or other kinds of diseases that affect men, women, and children of all ages. And we wonder, why would God allow such a plague to go on uncured? And we, we don't know about God. In the valley of doubt, we see a mixed up world where morals have changed. And we see now men are marrying men and women are marrying women. And we see that the order of God's institution of marriage has been perverted. And we wonder why God doesn't intervene to straighten up this mess like he did Sodom and Gomorrah and the tribe of Benjamin. I wonder that as a preacher. Let, let me tell you, I've been in the valley of doubt sometimes. In, in this age of mega churches and mega ministries, in this age where if I get my mind on it, people are competing for our members someplace else, in this age where people are making choices to go to other churches not because of the Word of God, but because of the programs and the athletic programs that they have and not the Word of God. I'm talking to you now. Okay? I'm not against athletic programs. But in this age where people are making choices based on their flesh and the natural inclination of their family, not spiritual fear of God. In this age, I have, I have wondered to myself, Lord, uh, where, where is a David Wilkerson in all this? I've been in the valley of doubt. Maybe some of you are, and I'm hastening this, but I'm trying to build a case. In, in this valley of doubt, we've seen drug addicts. And what they used to be called dope addicts. That flagrantly display their lifestyle and 
some people involved in crime and taking what is not theirs from somebody else because they don't want to work for it. They blatantly, in broad daylight, without a mask, carry out crimes and violence in businesses and people's private homes. And you think to yourself, my Lord, the good law-abiding citizens are now prisoners in their home while the criminal walks out in freedom in public. In the valley of doubt, we get a glimpse of little babies, brothers and sisters, being born already addicted to crack cocaine because of the negligence of their mother or fathers. And I'm hard-fetched to call them mothers or fathers. That's the real world we're living in. In this valley of doubt, where students normally take books and book bags and lunches to school, we find some students opting to take semi-automatic weapons and other kinds of weapons because they got some kind of vendetta to settle. Anybody know what I'm preaching here this morning? And I'm saying to you, it's very perplexing. We have questions along the way. And I don't want to be lighthearted here. I just want to build a point. We wonder to ourselves, why is it that my friend or somebody I know can beat and cheat and then drive a new Cadillac while I'm committed to righteousness and I have to drive a beat up old car? It's like one guy says, why is it that I'm Mr. Hardworking and I'm driving a battle act? And Mr. No-Working drives a Cadillac. You, you've ever, you ever looked around and wondered? In, in this age and time, you think to yourself, why is it that my neighbor, who's an alcoholic, and again, doesn't even know what the inside of a church looks like, and yet his kids are all well-behaved and doing good, and my kids are driving me insane? I'm talking about the valley of doubt. Well, what about this question? Why is it that I can hardly make ends meet financially? At the end of the month, I've got more month and i got money. How can I can, how, can hardly make ends meet and somebody who is not living right and a sinner person lives a sumptuous life? Why is it that I owe everybody I see just about, I can hardly pay anybody, while Mr. Do-Wrong pays everything in cash? And the questions go on and on and on. The saints sigh and the sinners sing. And we wonder why. And I want to tell you something, friends. God will not allow this inspiration of Psalm 73 just to frustrate us with questions, questions, questions. This Bible wasn't given to us just to make us miserable by promises that God never meant to keep. This Word is given to us not only with its questions and sometimes its confusion, but it's given to us with answers that come from a God who really loves His children and wants them to draw near to Him. I will give you some answers. Number one that Asap found out is that correct handling of negative outlooks promotes our confidence in God. If you will let it, your mind will create negative, 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 not based on facts, but based on imaginations and other kinds of speculations that if you will let it, it will bring you down into the valley of doubt. Psalm 73, verse 15 and 16, Asaph says, If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful. Let me see if I can explain this so you understand. Because I needed it to be explained so that I could understand. Asaph says, verse 15, If I talk about all my questions and my frustrations and my fears and my struggles, and I speak it prematurely to people who are new in the faith, who have not been a long ways with God like I've been, 
if I open my mouth and, and I don't handle my negative concerns in the right way, I could cause younger Christians and others who are coming along to stumble by my lack of appropriate handling of truth. Asaph was a mature enough Christian to know that I'm going through a valley right now. I'm going through a difficult place right now, but I have history with God. Can somebody say amen? I have, have been walking with God now, and I have been to the hospital before, and He was there. I have had to go to surgery before, and He was there. It did look like my child was going to be arrested for a certain crime, and while they had some guilt, God gave me favor. I got history with God. It did look like I was going to lose my job, and I did lose my job, but God gave me another job, and a better job. I got some history with God. So before I open up my mouth to any and everybody, and talk about how bad it it is, I'm going to be careful how I handle this. Oh, somebody say amen. Because let me tell you, somebody is watching you as you travel. If you are in this for good time only, you ain't going to be in it long. I wish somebody would say amen. If you are only in salvation for God filling your pocket and filling your purse and giving you titles and accolades, you are not going to walk. God didn't promise you a rose garden while on this earth. But He promised with the rose there would be thorns. But with the rose and thorns, He would be a lovely fragrance and aroma and a sweet smell and savor wherever you are. I got to be careful. Listen what he said. I got to be careful. I got to be wise in when I open my mouth and to whom I open my mouth with negative stuff. Somebody help me here. There's something else he's saying if you're taking notes. He says, I also need to understand that if I keep playing negative situations in my mind, rehearsing it in my head, keep playing it. Woe is me. Bad is me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Everybody's family is blessed but mine. Everybody's marriage is blessed but mine. Everybody is well, but I'm sick. Everybody car run well, but I have a flat tire. If I keep playing all these bad stuff in my mind, Asaph says what it's going to do, it's going to oppress me and I'm going to become so depressed, I might even lose my confidence in God. And I'm saying all that to tell you that the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 and 15. I'm not against us saying we hurt. Neither is God. That's why he allows this passage and others. But I'm also saying to you this morning that most of our negative outlook, if not all of them, are not based in facts. They are based in our imagination of what we think is happening or what we think God hasn't done or not going to do. No wonder Paul says there comes a place in our lives that we have to handle negative outlooks in this context. Oh, my, my, my. Casting down every imagination and thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so he says, Asaph is saying, with my negative outlooks, if you negative, 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 negative emotions begin to rise up. Come on. So you see, it's more than your thought that's affected about, woe is me, everything is bad, God doesn't care, he doesn't answer my prayers, my kids are doing lousy, my job. When you start getting those thoughts, then you begin to get emotions like he had in verse 21. Look at verse 21. He talked about, my heart is grieved and I was vexed in my spirit. And when you combine negative imaginations, not based in fact, with negative emotions, you pretty, self put, pretty much put yourself 
in your own prison. You've got to be careful how you handle negative outlooks. And I say that to you by saying, here are two options. Number one, you tell it to God. Every bit of your feeling, I don't care if you told him yesterday, tell him again today. Tell him your fears, your frustrations, your anxieties, your questions. You tell God what you're feeling. Take it to the Lord. That's why prayer is so powerful. Somebody say amen. That's why you've got to learn to pray for yourself and quit, quit texting and emailing and sending all kinds of address to somebody prayer tower out in California. Hit your knees and get a hold of God and say, God, I want to get to know you myself. I love this verse. This this word of God, Ephesians 5.19. Let me, here's what the Bible says you ought to do about your negative outlooks. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another and yourselves, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You got a choice. You got a choice to sing, somebody play for me a sad melody, so sad that it makes everybody cry. We've all done it. Or you can come to the choir and you can listen to the house of God and you can put a CD in or you can sing to yourself. That's why you need to memorize some scriptures. Speaking to yourself in Psalms. There's 150 of them. Pick one. Uh, you all ain't preaching near as, shouting near as good as I'm preaching, but I'm going to preach anyhow. If I was measuring my emotions based on some of you, I'd just go ahead and shut the Bible and go out in the golf course and hit a few. Yeah. Some of you look, looking like, when are you going to push my button? Just as soon as I get every pew electric. <laughs> Whatever, I'm not going to do I'm just teasing. Have a little fun with you. Playing all this misery song. You know, I don't, I, I don't mind eating at the Waffle House. I rather like eating at the Waffle House. Pastor Jeff and I had breakfast there this week uh, at the Waffle House. And thank God, the only thing that was missing, thank God, was the music. It, I know he was grateful. I was. I like Waffle House food. Can't you tell? I like food of all kinds. But somebody comes in there and slips 50 cents in that jukebox. They still call it jukebox, don't they? Is that what they call it? Don't tell me I'm that old. Some old dead old whining song about... Somebody stole my pickup, my wife left me with my, for my best friend, my dog bit me, and I'll just go ahead and die. Well, go ahead and die if you want to, but maybe what you need to do is skip the Waffle House, quit listening to a bunch of junk, and get you some other kind of spiritual breakfast. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and songs, cut off the junk and play something or say something or hang around somebody who will add to you instead of bringing you down. Somebody help me praise the Lord. Yeah. You got to choose who you share your emotions with. Some people want you to like them so bad they'll... they'll Wallow in your mess and talk, tell you about their mess. You ought to shun those people. Can I get a witness here, somebody? 
I like what it says in Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, my brethren and my sisters too, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure and lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there is any praise in it, think, meditate on these things. Can I get an Amen. Oh, man, if you have a house and you've got two ends of the house, it's obviously you do. One end looks over a hog pen and the other end looks over a rose garden. Why don't you spend more time looking over the rose garden and let the hogs do what they do? Whatsoever things are good, just, pure, lovely, sound, beautiful. Think on these things and God will keep your mind and your peace. You gotta quit saying somebody else is gonna do something for me. Do it for yourself. Change your thinking. By the word of God. Here's another thought Asap found. Closeness to God promotes our confidence in God. Do you know that I found out in my journey in life, and you have too, if you got any season time in life, that some people over the years that you get close to, you don't want to get any closer to. Some people you've met in life, the more you get to know them, the more you don't want to be around them. Go ahead and say amen. Yeah. You know, because it's always something negative, something bad, something discouraging. That's not the case with God. Give me an amen. Asaf says, the closer you get to God. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Asaf said, when I... Laid my junk aside long enough to return back to the presence of God. The sanctuary is the place of the presence of God. Say amen, church. Asaph says, I got all this junk going on. And it's about to make me slip and backslide. But I had enough sense of mind to go back to church. And when I got to the house of God. And the choir sang and the pastor preached and the elders prayed and communion was served. And somebody around me testified or told me something or or the Holy Ghost gave me a nugget. I began to understand that God is not against me. God is for me. That God is not putting his foot and beating me on the head. God is causing me to plow through some difficult places so I can have a harvest over on this side. You see, you need to be in the sanctuary. And I mean this sanctuary. But when you can't get in this sanctuary, you need to make a sanctuary where you are. I tell you that one of my favorite places as your pastor to be is in this sanctuary. I love being with you. And I want to be with you. I look forward to it. But during the week, oftentimes, I love to come in this sanctuary field. And I just love to pray here. Because of just what it means to me. And because of what I get from the sanctuary. Usually I'll put the lights low, put these lights up a little bit, open that door if the weather's favorable. And I'll just take my shoes off and I'll walk through here. And I'm, I'm praying a little louder than, than if I'm doing a private prayer because it's me and God alone. Now oftentimes if I'm talking about one of you, I will look around to see if you're there. You might have slipped in. You know, I do. I, I, sometimes I, I want to tell God a few things about you that I don't have enough nerve to tell you about just yet and confront. So I say... You, you do that too. Come on and talk to me. I remember as a teenager growing up, and, and I wasn't always doing right, but I didn't see myself as a heathen. But as a teenager growing up, and we had a small three-bedroom house, maybe 1,300 square feet, three sisters, myself, mom and dad. My mom would go to her bedroom and pray out loud. 
And she would tell God everything about me. But my mom was a smart lady. She knew in praying out loud, she would spiritualize it and talk to God, but she'd also talk to me. Boy, I'd have that TV turned on. I want to turn it up a little loud. It's for the age of remote. And I ain't that old. It's just my haircut. But before the age of remote, you had to get up and go turn the TV on more. I, I would turn it on louder and as if my mom would get a special anointing to pray louder than the TV. And, and what I'm saying is, 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 we can tell God all our stuff, even about our kids. But when you, here's, if you're driving down in the road and you can't get to this sanctuary, turn the CD or the tape player or the, we don't have much tape players in cars anymore, the radio off and make it a sanctuary. You may have only a small closet in your house. Push back some of those clothes and sit down in there and make it a sanctuary. Can I get an amen? You may have a little area in your backyard, shaded tree area, and the summertime is coming. And you just go and make it a sanctuary. Listen, this is how you get in the presence of God. And I know I'm teaching something you already know, but I need to hear it too. So indulge me if you don't need it, okay? You know, you know how you get in the sanctuary? You get the Word of God. The Word of God. And you hide yourself in the Word. You begin to read Psalm 73 over and over. You... I'm, I'm trying to get you to read the whole Bible through this year. But if you don't make it, just keep reading the Bible. Okay? Just keep, re- keep reading the Bible. About 300 of us, just keep reading it. If you don't get to the end this year, get to the end next year. But don't stop reading the Word. The Word of God is our sanctuary. Oh, can somebody help me here? I, I feel the yelling preaching coming on, but I'm trying to subdue myself, okay? You know where your sanctuary is? You need to find a place of prayer. You need to have a prayer life. You've got to have a prayer life if you're going to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yeah, God, just like you like to take care of your body, man, you ain't going to eat no junk food. You ain't going to eat no pizza. You ain't going to eat nothing organic. Uh, I mean, not organic. You're not going to eat something in the freezer 15 years and in 15 minutes just throw out. Just like you, just like you guard your body from possibilities of any inappropriate bacteria, virus, or any kind of calories. That's what you and I, in order to be confident in God and grow in God, we've got to guard a spiritual life with prayer and the Word of God. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself. Closeness. Here's a third thought, and I'm hurrying. Correct understanding of God's timing promotes our confidence in God. Have you wondered when they're going to get theirs? You all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Boy, I've been times in my experience and my immaturity in Christ, and I still struggle with it now, when I've been hurt, offended, wounded. And you have to. And you start praying. And the Bible says, pray for your enemies. <laughs> when are you going to kill them? How many know that ain't what he means? One of the hardest things for me to do is to pray for some people who have resisted, misunderstood, misrepresented me. or And you're thinking, God, ain't it time for them to get theirs? We sit like vultures on a large tree limb or a fence post waiting for God to make them a corpse so we can... If you let yourself like Asaph almost did, you can rehearse your hurts and curse your hurts and nurse your hurts. And as I understand the judgment of God, vengeance is mine, saith God. Timing is mine. 
The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and I'm hurrying, 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness. But the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to eternal life. Please understand, just because they ain't getting theirs, and you're living right, they're doing wrong and keep prospering, doesn't mean that God's blind, senile, deaf, or doesn't see. Can I get an amen? amen? You write this down or you remember it. Sometimes God is doing His greatest work when He is silent. Did you all just hear this preacher? I'm not yelling, but if it means yelling to get you to hear it, I'll do it. Sometimes God is doing His greatest work in your marriage, in your finances, to overcome your flesh, in your addiction, and in, in whatever. And, and you can't hear God, you can't feel God, you can't see God, even when you go into sanctuary. But God has a time clock, and just in the right time, oh, somebody help me here. Just like at Calvary, when Jesus cried out for God to help him, and God didn't say a word, if God had interrupted Calvary, none of us would be saved. God was doing His greatest work when he was silent and he will be that way in your life so here's the correct understanding when you see the wicked continue to prosper in their wickedness understand that it's only because God is patient patient when you see unrighteous people suffering and you uh, pardon me prospering and you're suffering understand there was a time when God could have wiped you out Come on, help me. There was a time when God could have wiped me out because I was a sinner. I was envious. I was bitter. I was judgmental. I was a critic. I was a fault finder. Come on, help me here, somebody. And God could have just completely take his index finger or one of his fingers and flick this off the face of the globe. But you and I are a product of the timing, the mercy, the grace, the love of God. God is not slack concerning his promise. He is going to judge one day. He is going to balance his books one day. He is going to settle the old account one day. But until then, be sure that you are in right standing with God. Number four, please. Correct evaluation of the situation promotes our confidence in God. You know when you get your emotions wrapped up in stuff and your mind wrapped up in stuff, you know what you and I tend to think? I got to do something. I got to do something. If it's the wrong thing, I got to do something. We hurt, we suffer, we're wounded. Got to do something. I got to show her how that hurt me. And I got to hurt her back. I got to show him how he hurt me. And I got to hurt him back. I got to show the boss, the supervisor, the coach, somebody else. I got I to show God. And sometimes even if it's a sinful thing, we'll go ahead and do something. Because we're hurting so bad. That's the wrong evaluation of a situation. Can somebody give me an amen? I'm telling you, sin is never right regardless of the circumstances. But most people, they're hurting so bad, even if it's sinful, they go ahead and do it. Because here's how sin works. Sin never shows you what tomorrow is going to produce because of your disobedience today. Sin never shows you the consequence next year or next two or three years from now if you... Do the wrong thing now. It just shows you the gratification of your flesh right now. How it will feel if you could just get even. So I'll backslide. I'll quit going to church. Correct evaluation. People will hurt you. Oh, I don't know if I should do this. So all I needed was a few agamon. Got an email some months ago. Pastor Jeff got it too. I'm quitting church. You remember that one? Quitting church, quitting God. 
I tried it, but said something about having a flat tire on, the, on, on, on occasion and couldn't get no church people to respond immediately. Some sinner helped him, and he'll be fine. This email was titled, Quitting God. Man, if God can't trust you with a flat tire, what you got? But you know what he was basing his, his walk with God on? On us. Flesh. Listen, you, I can't be everywhere, and you can't be everywhere. But you've got to properly evaluate the situation. Nobody's available right now, but God sent a sinner to help me. Maybe I should witness to this sinner. Proper evaluation. You know what? We quick. If you get an email that's not favorable, or a text, or a phone call, or something, you, you get so hot and bothered. I'm just teaching now, okay? The first thing your flesh wants to do is respond. Man, I'll whip up an email and tell them what I think. You get the spirit of slap all over you. You wish you could reach through the email and slap them. Put them on Skype. I'll slap them right now. I'm getting some therapy by preaching this way. And usually if you respond, you've got to back away. I may know you already know some of this. You've got to back away. You've got you to say, wait, I've got to consider the source. I, got, I don't know what pain they're going through. I don't know what junk they're facing. I don't, Harry said the other day, is Harry in this service? Cindy, I see here. He needs to be in this service. He was unsanctified. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> Harry was testifying to the men's group Monday night last week about an issue came up with one of his employees. And they were going at each other. And there's negative words. And Harry said, in the natural flesh... He would have took that employee and chewed him up and down, right down the other, and just, you know, give him what he deserves for, for being so uh, outside the boundaries. But he said the Holy Spirit led him to put his shoulder, his arm on his shoulder and take him outside and say, man, tell me what's going on. You know, well, he, he, had a, he had bad news that morning. He had bad stuff going on in his life that he didn't expect. And he was, he was letting it gush forth in a setting that he should not. Okay, uh, you know, in the midst of this, 1,558 people come to church last Sunday at Easter. I get this email this week from somebody who gives their name. I don't know them. They may be here this morning, so if you are, you ask for it. <laughs> you put it out there, so now I'm going to just put it out there. The email was titled, I want to know when I can come to your church. You don't have church on Sunday nights. I work in a restaurant on Sundays. I work from 8 to 4. Other people work in the restaurants and serve on Sundays, pastors and Christians. She said, don't you care about us? Don't we count? Are we not valuable? And then she goes on into the email and says that her favorite pastor, and she called his name, said this, and she thinks she agrees with him. It's true. Her favorite pastor says... The pastors are too lazy to prepare another sermon on Sunday night. And they're too, they don't care about lost souls to open the house of God on Sunday night. And that was the email. Well, I want to tell you something. That what I'm preaching right now came on me. I had to correctly evaluate. I showed it to Pastor Jeff. He wasn't near as sanctified as me, but... <laughs> He said, Pastor, if it was me, I, 
And of course, we just having a little humor together. In this, in, in this, if somebody done it to Jeff, I'd have said the same thing. Okay? So if you don't have a sense of humor in the ministry, you better find something else to do. Okay? Okay? All right? Uh, and, and, and so, and I showed it to the staff, and I thought, you know what? And he said, he said this. We had a little fun. He said, Pastor, his real concrete word is, don't even mess with it. That's what he said. And that after we had a little bit of fun. Cause, and that's exactly what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to cast my pearls before. Did anybody, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been, listen, listen, wouldn't it have been better to say, Pastor, why don't you have church on Sunday nights? And I could have said, well, you used to have three services on Sunday morning. And it can kill you. But we do have Wednesday night Bible study, I could have said. I could have said we have a woman's, women's 11 weeks of Bible study. We have our services on the internet. We have CDs and tapes. But the way that that was introduced to me is that I am a lazy preacher who don't care about souls. You know what you got to do sometimes? You just got to dust off your hands, take your shoes off, shake it off, and keep going. Keep going. See, but, but here, here's what, I'm going longer, but here's what happens. The devil took that one thing, Pastor Jeff, and caused me not to think about the 1,558 people that came to church and got God and caused my mind to dwell on that one thing and was stealing my joy. Hundreds of hands went up and there was one negative, and that's what you got to do. You got to realize that that, that ex-husband or that ex-wife or that boss, that's just one person in your life. Do not let them control your life or your emotions. Let God arise and let Him be glorified. Somebody give a Lord some. Let the Holy Ghost arise up in you. Let the Word of God arise Sing some songs. Pray some prayers. God's going to be honored. Everybody else, stand up now. Put your hands together and give the Lord some thanks. Come on, give Him praise. Yes, hallelujah. Your mind is not a garbage can. Did you hear me? Your mind is not a garbage can. What happens? You let people get under your skin and you go venting over to your wife, your husband, other people who love you. And you distance yourself because of the wrong response. Properly, and, and, and you know what he said? Look at verse 22. He said, When I sit back and realize how I need to respond to this, I'm sorry for being so negative, God. I opened my mouth too soon. I said things I shouldn't say. I was foolish and ignorant. Come on up, praise team. I, 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 I pre- Don't you ever feel that way sometimes when finally God shows us the whole picture? And we thought, Oh God, how much more I could have had. If I'd have been more patient. One final thought is on the screen. And this is, if you're going to overcome the struggles, a right relationship with God, a right relationship with God, builds confidence in God. People are fooling themselves to think, but let me say it the way that the Holy Spirit gave it. People who think that the right relationship in God, with God, is possible in the afterlife, without a right relationship with God in this life, is in for a rude awakening. Hear me now. People who think, I'm going to have a wonderful relationship with God when I die and beyond death's door into the future. Without a right relationship with God now, they're fooling themselves. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. If you are not in right relationship with God right now, you have no covering of the word, of prayer, of the Holy Ghost. 
of the full armor of God. But if you'll get in the right relationship now, if you'll crucify some stuff, confess some stuff. Because the bottom line is this, are you waiting for God? Because the Bible says He will appear the second time with salvation, meaning eternal life, second coming. Are you waiting for God or are you running from God? I'm, I'm hurrying. Your troubles, your trials, your pains, your questions will either drive you to the sanctuary of God or drive you to other substitutes. Are you waiting for God in faith and patience and prayer or are you running from Him? Bow your heads. Pastor, I need the right relationship with God. I need to correctly evaluate my dilemma. I need to understand the timing of God. You say, Pastor, I need Him in my life as my Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. Pray, Christians, in your mind and even as a whisper. Would you pray now in these moments that God will use them? I know I've gone longer than I should, but I'm going to just trust God's going to honor it. I need you as my Savior, Jesus. I need to come back to you. I've asked questions that, I, uh, that I'm, I've been guilty of. Imaginations and thoughts has been more accusatory than it has been healing. And I want you to forgive me for being ignorant and being foolish in my immaturity. And he will. I'm asking him that for me just about every day because just when I think I have something right, I get a test and I fail it. But I'm going to make it by his grace and you are too. I need him in my life. Raise your hands if that was you. Thank you so much. Oh, several hands. Thank you. Hold it up just a moment. Hold it up just a moment. Hold it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Put them down. Pastor, I just need to draw nearer to God. And this morning, I don't have all the answers and I still don't have them. But I'm not leaving here like I came if I can draw near to God. If that's you, I need prayer for that. Hold up your hand in Jesus' name. Hold it up. Thank you. You may put them down. Look at me now, everybody. Look at me, everybody. I want the altar workers and any of the team of the prayer, prayer team to hurry up to the front. I want any and everybody else, whether you raised your hands or didn't, you just say, Pastor, before I leave, I want to come closer to God by leaving my pew and this coming to this altar. I'm not going to single you out. We're just as a group together, if you raised your hand for either of those concerns, I want to pray over you here at the altar briefly as a general prayer. Come right now. Come. Come right now. Church, would you congratulate and bless these who are in obedience? Come on. Put your hands together for these who are in obedience. Come on. Don't leave unless you have to because I don't want to lose this moment. I know I've gone a little longer, but I want you to come. Just come from where you are. Come. Everybody else, lift up your hands to the Lord. Begin to worship. Sing, praise team. While they sing, I want you to receive this song as a prayer. Come on. Lift up your hands and begin to thank Him for His patience. Thank Him for His patience. Come on. Give him some praise. There is 
name. Matter of fact, I, I seldom do this, but I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But if you can, and if you will, could you take somebody by the hand in the spirit of agreement and let me pray together in that sense? I don't want to make you feel awkward, but I feel there's strength in the visible unity of the joining of hands. Even if you have to cross the aisle, just cross the aisle, get somebody by the hand and be their brother, be their sister, be a friend, be an intercessor. Pray right now. My Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to let the electricity, the current of your anointing flow from life to life. Represented by the joining of our hands, I pray, O oh God, that in spite of our questions, our fears, our anxiety, our griefs, God, we come to you in spite of it. Forgive us for letting imaginations, for letting, O oh God, uh, Lord, human emotions. Lord, let it get uh, cloud our better judgment. And I ask you to draw us all near to you. Come on and pray with me to that effect. Lord, the more we get to know you, the more we know we can trust you. I plead the blood of Jesus over every person here. Claim that with me. I plead the cleansing blood and protecting blood of Jesus over our lives and families. I speak the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Two more times. Jesus. Jesus. Father, I call the name of Jesus over our marriages, over our children, over our present and our future. I speak that demons have to go. I speak that doubts have to go. I pray that you'd move us from the valley of doubt and put us on the mountain of praise. I speak miracles of healing today. Salvation. If you need salvation right now, because you came or raised your hand, say, Lord, I confess that I have sinned. I confess in knowing wrong I have done wrong. I confess, O oh God, in speaking the truth I have not done that. And I ask you to forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me and save me today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, I praise you, Lord. And now release those hands and give Him some praise.